Hello, welcome back to the Student Pages podcast. Um, I'm joined by musician, singer-songwriter Janet Devlin. How are you, Janet? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Very good. We just think you're from a very small town in Northern Ireland, right, called Gorchin. Yeah, Love Village. Uh, what was it like, like going like, there? Um, it's kind of weird because, like, I only would have been in the village, really, um, to see my grandmother because I literally loved in the middle of nowhere like I lived at a field my next door neighbor was a field do you know what I mean like there was no neighbors <laughs> but as far as the village was it was cool um I used to take my horse in there as well that was my mode of transport as a child um no so I, yeah I would take my horse in tie it up go to the shop put the sweets in the bag head on home you know <laughs> it's a very weird thing to explain to people because now that I've fully joined the modern world I'm like oh wait so people didn't just like get on their horse and go for like a, a mountain ride oh okay and that sounds really like a privileged thing and it was absolutely a privilege to have a horse but like we weren't minted you know like these weren't like really expensive horses do you know what I mean like so <laughs> <laughs> but um do you think you know like a fair bit about where you're from do you think you'll be good at these questions I try my best. Um, no, I will say I am not going to be good, but I'll try. Okay, let's go. So um, what's the population, roughly, of Gorchen? Oh, probably about like 2,000. Oh, no way. Oh, well, when I looked it up, it said 400, but maybe that's wrong. You seem pretty confident on 2,000. I don't, do you know what? I don't know. I just know that over the past few years, like they built a few like wee house and parks and stuff. But 2000 sounds really steep. Like if I was being honest, I'd probably say there's about 600 people there. Yeah. That's yeah, it's not, it's not big. Were there not many people your age then to chill with? Um, to be honest, like I had three older brothers growing up. And because we lived in the middle of nowhere, like your brothers just be kind of become your mates. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I use the term mates very, very loosely. Like I was, I was wedged and nuggied and just treated like a lad <laughs> till I, till I grew up. Um, so I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really make friends with many people in the, in the village, to be honest, because it's very, the population of the actual village itself is, is quite old. Mm. Did that toughen you up then, three older brothers? Yeah, I think people have this misconception that if you have three older brothers that, oh, they're so protective. They must like be really like must that every person you date. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope. I just got hung up by door handles by my underwear and had to wait for them to snap. Uh, yeah, we also used to love wrestling, like WWE wrestling, and they didn't treat me any different. So, you know, I got a lot of bruises. I got a lot of bust noses. Um a lot of batterings basically but i don't think i'd change it because it's it's definitely made me more resilient um i think the only thing i'd change is that i do tend to be that girl who gets all my guys better and i i don't really like i don't really like that because i feel like i i'm uh, one of those girls who's like oh like me like me but it's like no, no no i just i've only ever known growing up with guys so like i only get on i get on really well with guys and girls who are very tomboyish mm. Or it's like, oh, you, yeah, like bra girls, you know, like that whole meme of a bra girl. It's like, yeah, yeah, do you want to just like go hike up this mountain and just get absolutely destroyed? Sick. We can be friends. <laughs> that sounds so much fun to me. So I don't, that doesn't, um, 
I know I'm friends. I'm friends with lots of girls who are like that. That's you should. Yeah, be it's not a rare breed, but it's. It, no. I think it just makes out that I don't get on with girly girls or anything. But I do. Like, but I do have a level of amazement as well. But like in a childish way, where it's just like, how do you? How do you do the eye, like the, oh, like the eyeshadow thing? Like, that's, uh, that's insane, dude. <laughs> but I think over the years, and obviously through living in different parts of London and different houses and different spheres and things, I've definitely learned how to get on well with women. And um, that was the great thing of living in my old house. There was like five of us, five girls. Um, so that definitely changed, you know, how I, how I relate to, to women. But up until that point, like I'd only ever been surrounded by dudes in the industry, um, in my my childhood. Like, um, so I'm welcoming it. I I I I love the fact that now I'm definitely getting to talk to more women, and even just little things like my TikTok subscribers is like my my first platform where it's predominantly female, and I'm just like, I like this. I like it. I like it a lot. I feel like I finally am. I'm one of the girls and not one of the lads. <laughs> sounds like you're rolling in it. It sounds. It sounds like. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna uh, carry on with these scorching questions. Yeah. Um, so, what does the name scorching mean in Irish? Little field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Did you know that because you know Irish, or because you, or because you just know the meaning? I grew up fluent in Gaelic, uh, but I lost it around. Uh, 10 11 years old i just i don't really understand a lot of gaelic anymore mm. was well, one of those things where you, you can like understand it but you can't sometimes yeah like i've met people who used to teach me gaelic in school and they've come up to me on a night out back when i used to drink Ooh. and they'd come up and they start speaking to me in gaelic for the crack and i'm like i know what you're saying somehow i just yeah. don't know how to respond to you um but I th- it's on my, my list of little things that I want to go back into in my life when I get, like, lifetime. And I think people will be like, oh, but sure, isn't lockdown good lo- lifetime? But no, 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 I, was, I worked the whole way through it. So if I ever get another chance <laughs> yeah. of some time, I would definitely love to learn it. Um, because unfortunately, that, that language is dying out. Um, so if I ever had kids, God forbid, pity their souls. But if I did... I'd like to teach them or even just teach my nieces and stuff. Like I feel like um, it'd be nice not to lose it. Like I still like to sing songs in Irish and stuff, even live because it's, it's, it's a beautiful language and it's a shame that it's, it's falling by the wayside. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you say, um, they'll, they'll, you think there'll always be an Irish influence on, on your music? I think whether or not I like it or not, it will because like that voice, the voice that I have, the inflection, the little annoying indie crap actually kind of comes from my family. Like my great grandfather was a singer and he had the same thing. He had a very, apparently a very similar tone and the way that my notes would flick is exactly how his voice would have sounded as well. So it's, it's, it's funny. So I always find it hilarious and people are like, are you doing the indie girl voice? And I'm like, <laughs> not on purpose. It kind of runs in my family. You can play my grandfather. Apparently he's the OG indie girl. So stop James. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, next scorching question. What is the name of the, I don't know if you know this, of the local Gaelic Athletic Association? The, the local Gaelic, so what would it be? Isn't it just Glenelly? Glenelly? Glenelly Lower? Not according to Wikipedia. 
Um, what would it be? Isn't it just Gorch and Gaelic Club? Isn't it just the... It's Pranny's Gorch and St. Patrick's. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. That's the name of the, the local parish. So it's St. Patrick. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But I was thinking, I was like, because you have Bedoni Lower and you have Bedoni Upper and one of them is the village over. Um, okay. And that's Plumbridge is Bedoni Upper and then we're Bedoni Lower. This is the problem is that you actually know quite a lot more about Gorch than me and I'm trying to put like, you on it and... <laughs> Okay. it's okay my brother will listen to this and he'll be like how did you not know St. Patrick's Sorry, <laughs> um, what's the name of the castle and estate in Gorsha? Uh Barnes Court no it's not um, it's owned by the Houstons uh, what is it oh my god I used to ride down on their horses as well like um does it become a B? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Um, oh, it slipped my mind. I don't it's, know. It's gone. It's some, something that rings, and then where you go, you get your hair cut. Mm. Beltrim Castle. Beltrim Castle. Yep. 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 There you go. That's awful. Yeah, I spent a lot of days down there as a kid as well. That's awful. I don't know that family too, like that own it. Ah, anyway. <laughs> and the last question, maybe you'll redeem yourself. What's the name of the mountain in southwest Barents? Uh the Cairn. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Well done. That's like literally from my parents' bathroom. You can see the Cairn. That's oh, class. Amazing. Um and my anytime parents- I'm in therapy and they're like, What's your happy place? I'm like, that one time I climbed the Cairn on my own, just for shits and gigs, and I just stared out over the the landscape and there was nobody there not a soul it was gorgeous <laughs> yeah i never I, I'm, I'm never gonna get that having grown up in london that must have been a that must have been a kind of big transition from you there because you're because you moved to london was that um a- it's very hard because i feel like my life very drastically changed at 16 um which i still feel is a you know you're still figuring out yourself you're you're still very moldable as well. Like you're malleable at that age. Like you're resilient. You can throw yourself into different scenarios that might affect somebody older differently. Um, so I felt like in a way where it was a good age to have your whole life kind of be uprooted because you're still able to, to kind of fit where you need to be. Um, but it is very different. But I don't know. I feel like if I was to go back because I lived in Ireland there for six months. Well, I spent two weeks at home and then I'd spent two weeks in London. And that was a very different experience. It was, I feel like I, if I wanted to live at home, I would have to sacrifice quite a lot of things, like quite a lot of my independence, um, just quite a lot of the things that I didn't realize shaped me as a person. Like I like city life and I thought I hated it. And then I went home and was like, I love, I love both. But I, I would, you know, have to be at a certain point in my life to go and live in the Arsentinor again. Because it's quiet and yeah. it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you maybe retire to somewhere in the countryside? Well, that was, that's what my dad wants me to do. He's like, you know, when you want to settle down, you can come over to Ireland. What about Cork? And by the way, Cork's gorgeous, but... Um, it's because he's trying to take me away from my dream of owning a ranch in Texas. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Like that's that's my aim. That or Montana or Colorado. 
just I, I like I do like the the outdoors and the unknown. Um I love America. But like he, he thinks that I can get everything I want from America in Ireland and I'm like, that's a very optimistic view, Aquinas. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> How long has that been a dream to own a ranch in, in America? I thought for as long as I can remember, I always loved the idea of that way of life. Um, and before TV happened, things like that seemed like not for me or like before I got a like a, a job in the music industry, all of that stuff felt very far-fetched and very unattainable. But then the older I've got and the more weirder my life experiences have been and the more like one in a million opportunities that I've got in, in, in my life, I'm like, oh, it, that is possible if you actually want it. Like mm. that, you can do that. That's okay. There's literally no difference in you trying to buy a house in Ireland or London. God forbid London. You know, it's so expensive. But like, if you can do that, you can also live out there. There is no difference. Um, so as soon as I realized that that was a possibility. So yeah, from like 17, I would say. Crazy. And you, you, you want to ride horses, you want to raise animals, all of that stuff. Um, yeah, I think, I think so. Like I also like California as well. Um, cause I feel like I want that, but I feel like I would live there now, but I don't know about older. Like I do like the idea of, you know, having some animals like horses and things, but also my my real ambition with that whole way of life would be to like convert a barn into a studio, you know, so have this this like safe place to record your music and be creative, um, but also, yeah, have animals and things like that because I feel like as somebody with, you know, a past of mental health issues, there is something about, especially horse riding, that um, like it's very good for channeling your feelings and keeping you focused on one thing for an hour or however long you're riding, you know, um, that means you don't think about anything else. And I think it's very calming. And also horses are pretty cool. So I was the crazy horse girl in school. No one's going to be surprised. <laughs> um, no one is surprised. I just, yeah, I like animals. I like the country. So I think those two things go together. You should hit up the, uh, the Amish guys. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I should be like, what, you want to take my technology away? <laughs> Oof, I did rehab, dude. I know how this goes. I know. You can have it all. It's fine. <laughs> um, what was I going to ask you next? Um, so confessional. So you just mm. brought out confessional well, in June. Um, how long did you work on that album? Was that long? Was that long? Too long. Um, basically, since the first album came out, I was working on that album, but the idea for it just gradually kept evolving um, until it became a conceptual record. Um, so I think I started about, you know, it was six years between albums, basically. I think it was like a week off being six years. Um, but I would say it was at least like four full-on years of only working on that album and, and trying to refine the concept of it all, but also trying to maintain... Um, like keeping my head kind of out there, just showing people that, you know, I was still making music. So I was making EPs, releasing singles, you know, still touring, all that kind of stuff, just to show people that like I wasn't going to disappear because you know, six years is way too long to not put anything out. So yeah, I, I kept making EPs and things, starting a movie, uh, wrote soundtracks, all that kind of stuff, just to just to show people that like I was still alive and 
that led to the YouTube channel as well. So all of the stuff. <laughs> Were you writing the book in tandem as well? Yeah. So basically about, so I had this beautiful notion of having this book and I was like, right, you know, that will be a thing that goes along with it. You know, I did actually have to sit down and write it against my will. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but I think it became, you know, real. Um, just like, you know, you have to write this book. Like you, you keep saying about this book, but you're not writing this book. Like, when are you going to start? Oh my God. This is something I actually have to do. Uh, okay. Um, I have a very short attention span, like really bad attention span. And I, and I, I'm still learning how to channel my chaotic energy <laughs> in the one thing at a time. Um, so it was such a massive task to, to do that. But I think, Writing an album and a book at the same time wouldn't be too bad. I don't think that's beyond the realms of comprehension. It was more so the fact that I was trying to, you know, upload two videos a week on a YouTube channel, trying to also keep up with the releases that were going on. So, you know, all of the the writing and production of those and the promo of those and, you know, trying to break my my music out there in the States as well. So doing all of those things together was just a lot and also being somebody you know who is in recovery who has to look after themselves to you know make sure that they're spending x amount of hours a week in a room listening to alcoholics and you know in therapy all of these things <laughs> should go on at the one time so it was you know there was definitely a phase of about two years where it was like 18 hour days constantly and i didn't have weekends i didn't date i had no friends uh, I was completely isolated in a in in a city where I knew nobody, um, just to make the dream work. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. This feels like this feels like therapy now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this is not what we talk about in therapy. Don't worry, <laughs> it was darker than that. <laughs> and um, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite song on the album? Um, I think "Better Now" is my favorite song. Um, like it changed for quite some time, but I think what that song stands for is very important. Um, because the album was originally supposed to end on Holy Water, which is this very happy, clappy, like everything's good, recovery. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Like <laughs> being well as possible. Um, but then better now is this, uh, because the joke is I'm not better now. There's no such thing as better with, um, mental health issues like the ones that I have in the past that I've had um and it is an everyday battle it's an everyday problem that you just take on um and I know that sounds very dramatic but it's it's true you you don't just get in the shower and wash off like your alcoholism or whatever that's mm. just not the way it is you know um and I learned that the hard way because I kept burying all my issues and I ended up just playing like emotional whack-a-mole um, so I ended up having to go to rehab in January of 2019, but it was the best, most blessed experience of my life. And that's what Better Now is about, um, which was just finally having to sit down, look at my laundry list of addictions and, and issues that I had and actually have to try and work through them um, with no distractions, with not being on the internet, with not being a singer-songwriter, just Janet as Janet you know, in, in, the, in the truest form. And it was, yeah, it was an awesome experience, but I felt like it was a very important chapter to cover. And I felt like the song is very important because 
I think people have a misconception that, you know, once you get sober, you're automatically better. Or once you stop self-harming, you're better. Or when you start eating three meals a day, you're fine. It's, it doesn't work that way. You know, these are things that you have to constantly watch and, and keep an eye on and keep on top of, basically. And what, what's helped you stay focused on that? What keep away from your addictions and focus on your, well, you know, improve your mental health the most? I think, honestly, like, it always comes back to it in the book. It's the music. Like, if it wasn't for the music, I don't know where I'd be. Like, it's, everybody has their thing. You know, some people haven't found their thing yet. And there's no shame in that. But there is something out there for everybody that is only comparable to the air in your lungs. That thing that's worth getting up for. That thing that sometimes is worth suffering for the thing that you can't imagine your life without. And for me, that was music. And, you know, it, it was it was when everything was going horrible, like I could somehow pull up my socks for just long enough to get through that gig or to go to that TV interview or, or just go to that studio session. It really did actually keep me alive with that, like having a schedule and seeing these things that I could do to, to live the dream. Um, and if I didn't have it, I don't know where I'd be. But, you know, I think, I think everybody's got their thing. Um, and, if, and if you don't have it, <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun try, thing to try and figure out what it is, you know? All right, for sure. No, definitely. And um, I, um, I, the, the, there's a sort of religious undertone to the album, right? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you a religious person? Is that also something that's sort of helps you? Um, I believe in God. Um, what exactly God is, I don't know. Um, I grew up Catholic, um, but I wouldn't really classify myself as like a strict Catholic anymore because my views are a bit too hippy-dippy for the Catholic Church. Um, but I think, you know, after I grew up really strict Catholic, um, I was an altar server. I, you know, I lived my life by the book. I, I carried that guilt and shame with me around my life and my decisions and things. Um, but what I what I loved about the religion is is the language that's used. It's very pretty. It's very descriptive. And whether or not you are a religious person, I feel like some of the words are just very evocative, very emotive. And you know, I wanted to include that in in the album. I felt like I had a wealth of this knowledge on this one thing for no reason. Right. Um, so I wanted to add that to it you know and even in school like my my best subject in school wasn't music at all I dropped music it was philosophy and ethics you know so it was like the studying of religions and the the reasons why people have and hold their beliefs so it's just yeah it's it was just something I wanted to include because it's pretty (laughs) it's it's interesting the the song um uh sweet sacred friend Mm -hmm. that is that, that's about alcohol, right? Yes, it is about uh, putting the booze down. And what, it's interesting that you, you, you refer to it as sacred. I just wanted to understand that a bit more. So a lot of reasons, really. Um, one, alliteration, live for it. Uh, and two, uh, I suppose if you look at like the, uh, the blood of Christ, um, that is sacred. It is, you know, and I drank a lot of wine. So, <laughs> okay. there it is. Yeah. So, a lot of red wine. 
I did drink a lot of red wine. Because it's really easy to buy cheap red wine. You know, mm. it will taste absolutely disgusting. But I can assure you, by the end of my drinking, I was not drinking for the taste. So, yeah. And um, can I can I talk to you about some of your uh, your tattoos? Yeah, I mean, I've got a few. What's the what's that one there? The is that a, uh, a horse? It's a yeah, it's a dead horse. Uh, it's a horse skeleton. Is that yeah. how come you decided to get a horse skeleton? Um, the drawing itself is really old, almost like pagan Irish. I find I find it, but for me, the symbolism of the dead horse was horse riding. For me, it was a big part of my childhood. Um, and I think now that I'm an adult, like just that realization that my childhood's dead. Like all the horses I had when I was a kid, they're all dead. Uh, <laughs> I know it's so dark. Um, I got it when my grandmother passed away, and for me, she was the last living symbol of my childhood. Like when I would see her, I would see all those times where she'd make me dinner, or she'd you know make me do my books, or you know she was the last living thing of that. So her passing away, you know, took a toll on me in my life, but I wanted to symbolize that in in something that you know i love because I, I i i love horses i love my nan i didn't really want to get like a photo of my grandmother <laughs> i just think that's, that's kind of weird um but as well like there's like a, the way that it's drawn there's like an outline here and it's all about like you know as well as that you know it was sad to lose my childhood and it's this notion of you know you can dress death up whatever way you want at the end of the day it's still death um, so that's what that big outlining thing means. Okay, so it's like, it's like symbolic of, of a lot of things of, of your childhood, of your of your your grandma and of kind of death and it's a deep mm -hmm. tattoo. Man. I'm thinking I got a tattoo. I don't have any, but I know. I think I just get really dumb stuff all over myself. I'm, I do. I think it's chill. Yeah, dude. It's honestly like tattoos. I'm not even the biggest fan of tattoos. I'll be honest. Like I what I am a fan of is commemorating life events. And like I journaled a lot as a child and I feel like this is just a portable journal. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, I got that such a good, cool, like I remember the tattoos that I think are cool. And like, obviously I think those are so cool and interesting, but tattoos yeah. I've seen in the past that have stuck in my mind. I know, um, you know, Steve-O from, from, he's got uh, Steve-O on his back. He's got himself on his back. Yeah. I, think I love so it. Cool. Um, That's stuff got, I live for. I, lo I love, I love tattoos like that. Just ridiculous ones. Also. One of my favorite all-time tattoos. I, I, I don't think I'd ever get it, but I live for the fact that people have it. It's on their leg, and they, they get a chair on their leg. So whenever they sit down, they can like point at people and be like, "Take a seat." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I love that energy, and I wish I had it. You know, but for me, I keep all of my tattoos like to this one arm um i have some on my hips and on my finger and like ankle and stuff but like this arm in particular i don't care about so i'm like who cares let's wax some more drawings on it it's all right why, why don't you care about that arm oh that's a really dark story but basically uh this arm is the arm that i have self-arm scars on okay. so i basically can just do what I want and every time my mother looks at me uh, with a with a, a look of did you get another tattoo I'm like Patricia what would you prefer would you prefer the scars on show or would you prefer a nice drawing of a dead horse 
<laughs> I don't know, you know. So that that for me is is why this arm. Um, but I like the I like even the symbolism of that. Like this is an arm that I used to take all of my pain out of, um, that I that I suffered through, and I, it never made anything beautiful. So it's like, oh, I can, I can suffer for a little bit, but at least it makes for art that I can carry around on my skin. Nice. Okay. This is this has been such a fun interview. But almost, <laughs> I'm going to ask you one more um, question. And I'm going to let you go. Um, awesome. I'm just going to ask you, um, how do you feel about your X Factor experience? Looking back on it, are you proud of that kid, or does it make you cringe? Or what, what do you feel about it? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't look back in any form of regret. I don't believe in regret. Um, I'm oh, definitely well, proud. Right. I'm definitely proud of her. Like I was quite you know clued in for a 16 year old um down to little things like i was only about six months into anorexic anorexia recovery before i went on tv um but i knew that i didn't want to be a role model for people's destruction so i made sure that i gained enough weight to at least look like a healthy person that nobody would ever question had an eating disorder because i didn't want didn't want to be that role model um if it ever happened you know like i just I was proud of her because I, at the, in those days, was so shy, so painfully shy. And so um, I didn't believe in myself. I hated myself. I felt like the whole world was against me. <clears throat> I felt like everybody was in on this joke that I didn't know about. And, you know, when people would come up to me for autographs, I thought they were taking the mech out of me. You know, but at the end of the day, even through all of that, psychological torture that I've put myself through by a warped view on the world like I still got up on stage and I still did sing my life like I did sing as best I could you yeah. know um I'm glad I did it like because I never really was a singer before the show do you know I just sang from time to time and you know <laughs> floated by and it allowed me to see that it was a it was a possibility that I could have a career in it if I wanted to put my head down and, and finally get better at it. Um, so I, I, I think it was a really good experience for me. It was also my first experience of understanding that I'm less likely to self-destruct if I've got a timetable and something to work towards and goals, especially music orientated, that I, I won't hit the, the screw it button. <laughs> and I'll actually, you know, be focused. So it was a lot, uh, I think as well, like, at 16, when you look at your life, obviously more mathematically, a few months to a 16-year-old is a very, very long time uh, because of how much of a fraction of that of your life that takes up. So it felt like forever when I was in it. And because of my depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, everything felt like, sometimes always felt like the end of the world if something went wrong. Because I didn't have the life experience to know yet that stuff goes wrong and it's okay. Because you learn that through life. And I think people also forget that with teenagers is like the reason why everything's a really big deal to that teenager is because it's the first time they've gone through it. It's the first time they've fallen out with their friends. It's the first time that boys broke their heart. It's the first time for all of these things. So for me, I had a lot of my first times in the public eye. <laughs> yeah. So it was so much to try and uh, wrap my head around. So the fact that I didn't self-destruct, I'm like, we did it. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of perspective looking back now, and I think I think I think you definitely should be proud of that kid. Like, it, it, like definitely with everything you went through and and the places it's taken you. It's amazing that you said that um, 
that you you kind of didn't really sing you didn't consider yourself a singer back then yeah absolutely not like i i ran a youtube channel and it was starting to do really well but like people were leaving me nice comments i wasn't going to check in on that oh my gosh like that the catholic in me was like we can't read those things they might <laughs> give us an eagle <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so I avoided all that kind of stuff. Like I uploaded videos and I did sing in competitions, but you know, when I first started singing, it was a means to an end to earn some money. Like I never won a competition, but I, I would earn some money to, you know, get my drum kit because my, my goal at the time was to be a drummer uh, in a band. Really? So, really? Yes. Yeah. So I never even, cause for me at the time with how my anxiety was, I was like, I could never be at the front, put me at the back, but make me a fundamental <laughs> member of the band. Thank you. <laughs> so it was this big accident, you know, and even just little things like that, you know, that I, if I didn't go on the show, like I probably would have just been a drummer and I never would have thought I would have ever been capable of, you know, in a band, obviously you'd be a frontman, but like, I don't know, like I would never would have thought I'd be able to be a solo artist. Um, so that it was, it was all this big, massive learning curve <laughs> in such a very short period of time. You know, it's crazy. Well, um, that's so interesting. Thanks so much for for talking to me today, Janet. Um, No, uh, thank you for having me. (laughs) You have to listen to me chat nonsense for a little bit. Bless your soul. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I really enjoyed it. And and thanks so much. And um, have a great rest of your day. Awesome. You too, man. Thank you. Cheers. And uh, thank guys. Thanks everyone for listening to the Student Pages podcast. See you next time.